Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Julia Peden Designs. Need a design project done? Look no further than Julia Peden. She is a freelance multimedia designer who helps bring your ideas to life. She specializes in developing unique brands and logos for your business to stand out from the pack. The one and only sports logo was created by Julia and I absolutely love it. She helped me establish a brand and has provided ongoing professional advice for me to keep everything looking fresh and consistent. You can check out our projects and other works at juliapeden.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-P-E-D-N.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 12 of the podcast. This week's guest is Mike Haddock. Mike is the founder and head coach of Haddock Sport Performance, a premier strength and conditioning company for and by Ultimate Athletes. He's the strength and conditioning coach for Team Canada's men's and women's ultimate teams, Toronto Rush, Toronto Goat, Toronto Sixers, Field Hockey Canada, and Team Ontario Lacrosse. He has helped many athletes and teams at the international level and is a five-time medalist on the world stage. He has a Bachelor's of Kinesiology and Master's in Exercise Physiology from York University, and he's a Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist slash Coach and Certified Exercise Physiologist. Here is my interview with Mike Haddock. Mike, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your story, Mike, um, knowing where you started playing Ultimate with you way back in the day. So I'm excited to hear how you got to where you are now, meddling five times on the world stage as a strength and conditioning coach. Pretty cool. So uh, tell the listeners, how did you get to where you are today running your own company, Haddock Sport Performance? Well, yeah, it's it's a long and wonderful story. I consider myself uh, quite fortunate, really. As you referenced, we started playing together probably the better part of a decade ago, and that is right around the beginning of my professional career. And so I really think back to some of the influencing factors for me early on, and I'll actually say that my high school was a massive factor for me. And uh, I went to one of the largest high schools in Canada, to Earl Hague Secondary School, and we were, we were fortunate. We had a number of resources. And in my uh, grade 12 year, I was you know, captain playing on our Ultimate Frisbee team. I had taken an exercise science course that gave me sort of first influence into anatomy and physiology and biomechanics. And we had a weight room uh, in the gym. And so these three factors together, I very quickly found out, like, I love each of these three. I want to figure out a way to put these together. And so, I, I mean, I can think back and remember uh, standing out on our athletic field with two of my best friends and saying, at some point in my career, I want to work with the best ultimate athletes in Canada. And here we are, which is literally <laughs> 15 years later. And uh, it, it's, it's true. And I really, uh, I can't believe it. But uh, I was very fortunate that went to school for kinesiology, went and did my uh, master's of exercise physiology and then was competing in the ultimate world myself with this outside view that I wanted to transition into coaching and, and specifically strength and conditioning and training with these athletes. And so in 2015, I had my first opportunity. I actually started with the Toronto Rush. And, you know, it really started as a, a, a trial. It was, here's how I think I can help you. And they said, all right, let's give it a shot. Here's three athletes. And it went well with those three athletes and then it built to six athletes and then it was 12 and by 2016 it was helping to oversee the entire like team and the system and it, it grew from there i think you know obviously toronto rush and toronto goat are are very closely intertwined uh, one participating in audl uh, one being more of a club based you know north american system but a, a lot of overlap between the athletes and uh, we were fortunate that in 2016 go well, sorry, in 2015, GOAT won CUC National Championship, and that vaulted us into a 2016 season where we were uh, preparing for Worlds, and 
I was asked by the coaching staff to join and uh, be a part of that process. And, you know, it just kind of kept going from there. Uh, 2017, the World Games and Ultimate Canada and, you know, 2017 U24 series and 2018 U20 series. And here we are today with uh, the men's and women's national teams, uh, our Toronto men's and women's system, as you referenced, and uh, just continuing to build my expertise in the, you know, complete field team sport realm. And Mike, as I mentioned in the intro, you have a little bit of background as well with other field sports. So that's good to hear. So in your story, you mentioned in 2015, starting with the rush. So what were you doing post-graduation up to that point? What sort of teams were you working with? Where were you uh, honing your craft? Yeah, so I had to start uh, really within the general fitness industry. I think many people in, in the strength conditioning world started with a general population clientele or at least had an influence within the general clientele. And so uh, I was working um, at you know, a really, really high-end gym uh, in downtown Toronto and it gave me an opportunity to practice my skills and my craft with a, a large number of individuals. And while I was doing that, I was continuing to work through a number of certifications and designations. So I took a, a high-performance certificate at Sheridan College, and it was 300 hours uh, over the course of a year where you were learning under some really influential and and experienced elite strength conditioning coaches within the province. And so that was a really a large learning experience for me, and it took the, the scientific understanding that I had built through my two degrees and gave me a true practical strength and conditioning lens to apply it. And so, uh, you know, I continued to pursue in that direction and it, it became clear to me that was where I wanted to go. I wanted to be working with athletes and those that were dedicating themselves to uh, excel and succeed at the highest sport level. And so over a multi-year span, you know, I think about you know, the number of people that I was working with is sort of like 100% and it would be like, well, now I'm a 90-10 and now it's a 70-30. And so the rush really was kind of the, the first large step into the sporting world for me. And then it just continued to grow, and, and then I started to pull away from the general population uh, side of things. So as you moved into these high-level teams and organizations, can you walk the audience through what it looks like to get maybe signed up with one in terms of them? Is it them recruiting you? Is it them? Is it you going to them? For example, Field Hockey Canada, Team Ontario Lacrosse, how did those partnerships happen? Yeah, so as you referenced, you know, I, uh, currently I'm, I'm also a strength conditioning coach for uh, uh, Field Hockey Canada, so I oversee their Ontario men's development system. And, um, you know, once we're past the, you know, COVID crisis and we have better clarity of what the competitive calendar looks like us in the future, I am going to be working with Team Ontario Lacrosse in their provincial system. But to your original question, it originally started uh, in 2015 with me approaching the team. And so... I mean, if we step back five years and we think about the evolution of Ultimate and the evolution of physical development in Ultimate, it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of everyone's mind. It wasn't a, a key primary piece of the offseason. Athletes knew that they needed to be active and they needed to train, but it wasn't a big piece of their programming. And so I approached the Toronto Rush knowing that this was something I really wanted to do. And, and through the proposal, we took that step forward and then we continued to go from there. And then, you know, in referencing after 2016 Worlds, I created a significant proposal for Ultimate Canada and went to the Ultimate Canada Conference and actually presented it to um, most of the board of directors. And I, I gave a presentation about the, you know, eight to 10 months leading up to London Worlds. And I still remember that moment. That was, that was a, a huge moment for me. But the presentation finished and uh, one of the members on the board came up literally five seconds after it finished and said, we're very excited to work with you in 2017. And my, you know, my brain exploded. I was so excited. But um, yeah, for the most part, uh, many of my experiences were originally kind of self-driven. Uh, I think I knew what I wanted to do and I tried to go out and create it for myself. And there's been, um, you know, obviously some less successful opportunities in the past, but those were two or three of the really influencing pieces for me now. Mike, it sounds like you're living out the quote, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> so it sounds like that's what you're doing right now. And you mentioned a really interesting point. Ultimate, especially if you look back in the mid-2000s, people were training, but there wasn't really focused programs and, and things like that. So how do you see the trend of fitness and Ultimate growing? Or do you see it 
How do you see it evolving in the future? I think athletes are recognizing that training is not only like a small piece of the puzzle, it's becoming a large piece of the puzzle. I think ultimate is an incredibly athletic sport. It combines so many physical attributes, speed, like power, change of direction, both anaerobic and aerobic endurance. There's a finesse component to it. It is, it's part of the reason that I truly love working with this sport is it is an incredibly complex puzzle that we get to try to solve in a sense or figure out what's best for each person. And so I do think on the whole strength conditioning is becoming a larger and larger component for success. And obviously there are, there are so many pieces to an athlete being successful at the end of the day, but we're finding that if an athlete can be healthy, if they can be stable, they can continue to, you know, participate in practice game tournament at a a high intensity and high consistency that in turn allows them to continue to build their skills in a really sport-specific setting. And so I think athletes are realizing that, you know, getting injuries are a major deterrent to the success of their career. Having long-term irritations or, or tendonitis-type issues have a huge impact on both the mental and physical success of their seasons and realizing that there is a, a long off-season that they can put in a ton of time and effort and see a really tangible effect on the success of their next season. You mentioned a bit about the the different people you work with. And so when it comes to planning programs, let's say for a team, I don't want to give away all your secrets here, Mike, <laughs> but are you um, working individually with athletes on certain goals or is it more the whole team has the same fitness goals or what does that look like? Yeah, so I think, you know, a big part of my evolution over the last five years is having consistently developed the infrastructure and systems that allow me to truly personalize our process. And so, you know, I'm fortunate I work with a number of teams, but I also work with a number of individuals. And so the individuals have a a truly personalized experience, video calls one-on-one, programming one-on-one, video feedback one-on-one. It is truly all about them in that particular moment and program. And then within our team sphere, you know, taking, for example, Toronto Rush Go, Toronto Sixers, they're going to have themes throughout the offseason. We might have a bare bones foundation or structure that we're going to apply across the team. We know we want to work on A, B, and C for this six weeks. And there are certainly going to be very common themes across the entire team. But because the infrastructure is now so diverse and it is so built out, we are able to truly individualize. Uh, and so when an athlete, let's say, for example, we have eight athletes who are performing a squat or the same exercise, their challenges towards success in that movement is completely different. One athlete might already be technically perfect, but one athlete might have an issue with uh, their knee. One One athlete might have an issue with how they're applying pressure into the ground or hip engagement or torso control. The exercise might be the same across this group of athletes, but the intervention to bring them towards success is completely different. So we look at within our, our team like training sessions, we're going to be trying to apply these individualized processes to each person. And then when we step away from the session afterwards, I have an individual communication thread with each athlete. So whether it's just quick messages or it's email or it's video back and forth, we're ensuring that they are getting a very personalized approach to their development. So anything that needs to change in the program is, is really, really possible. And say this exercise just isn't right for you right now. I'd like you to switch it with this. Here's the video on our infrastructure. Go check it out. Come back to me and then we'll go from there. Last question of this segment here, Mike, what's some advice you would give for someone who wants to work with elite level athletes as you move from the general fitness industry over to elite athletics? What's some advice you would give to someone who's trying to get to that same spot? I think one of the most important things that's kind of worked for me personally is this idea that a lot of little bits add up in a big way over time. And I mean, there's many people who are far smarter than me who've said things along the lines, you know, consistency is more important than volume or intensity. And I think I've been fortunate that over a long period of time, just trying to take that first little next step forward every day has been a big factor. And I think, you know, the easiest way to quantify that would be some of the digital infrastructure. For me, we have a, a video hub for our athletes. It's somewhere in the range of 550 to 600 videos. But I didn't wake up one day with it being 600 videos. It, it literally started with a single one. And over the last, you know, three to five years, it's been 
three more here and five more there and, and 10 more here. And it's really built to this comprehensive structure that now allows me to be fully supportive and lends into that personalized structure for our athletes. Having it there has meant that I can now coach on an individual basis. So really it comes back to, again, little bits add up in a big way in a consistent fashion over time. So that's the big one. And we touched on it a little bit earlier, but the second one is go out and try to create what you're hoping to find in the world. And so thinking back to when I graduated in 2010 and even further to when I was 17 years old, thinking I want to coach the best athletes in ultimate, it didn't exist. That job wasn't there. Strength conditioning wasn't at the level it is today. And therefore, I could have thought of it as a negative. I thought of like, well, this doesn't exist. Maybe I'll go somewhere else. I just kind of kept marching towards that goal. And fortunate, as we noted, just being able to have some successful proposals and some successful initiatives I was able to eventually step into the role I have today. There you go. So Mike, just thank you for sharing that. Just pushing through the little things build up. And I know oftentimes you've said this to me before. Rome isn't, wasn't built in one day, Theo. So when you're training, you got to know one session isn't going to suddenly make you a quote unquote jack there. So it's good uh, <laughs> or fast or whatever that looks like. So it's good to hear that advice preached to the larger world. So we're going to move to segment two, day-to-day life. So, Mike, I want you to share what it's like for HSP just on a day-to-day. So, what's your day like now? Been How has it been affected by COVID? And then what is it like normally? Just a quick editor's note. This episode was recorded during the early stages of COVID-19 when the ultimate schedule was not set and the summer was uncertain. Sure. I think, you know, we're all going through a very significant transition in our normal, you know, day-to-day professional lives right now. I think... I'm fortunate within the strength conditioning world and even just within like the health practitioner world, I'm fortunate that because I've built such a comprehensive digital infrastructure, there really hasn't been too much of a change on the day-to-day. Now, I say that is I'm continuing to program and communicate, you know, digitally with my individuals, but everyone's mindset is completely different. Like everyone's motivation is completely different. And that speaks to me too. Like we have, you know, seen the dominoes of each of our competitive events, you know, as a big question mark, transition to a big question mark. We don't know when we're going to compete. Is it somewhere in 2020? Is it all the way to 2021? And that's definitely affecting the the psychological side of training and the, the psychological side of, of our partnerships and our, with our athletes. And I think that's fair. I think this is an extraordinarily difficult time. I'm, you know, have good days and I have bad days. And there are days where I really feel demotivated. And so stepping into my athlete's shoes, I can appreciate that they are struggling in the same way I am. And so I, I do think of it as a bit of a bell curve. And so within that bell curve, there are going to be athletes who lean towards the mindset of, Right now, the only thing I can control is my training. It's something I love. It's something I'm motivated to do. Let's go. And on the other side of the spectrum, there's going to be athletes who are in their own disappointment. Their way of dealing with the disappointment and frustration is to step away from it. And then there's going to be, you know, everyone in between and those who are looking for modified program or those who are looking to dabble in some performance pieces here, but some more casual or recreational or fun pieces there. And so The biggest difference for me since the COVID scenario has occurred is being flexible and open to what each person's current scenario is. And so if they're looking for a little bit, here's how I support that. And if they're looking for a lot, here's how I support that as well. How do we adjust for equipment demands? How do we adjust for space demands? If, If someone's living in a condo in a limited space, that changes the nature of our programming. But ultimately, you know, day to day, (laughs) what would have been really long work days before has certainly been adjusted to a more moderate approach Um, with my family home and trying to enjoy the outdoors. I will be honest, I'm trying to find a better work life balance and adjust my expectations for what is what is productivity? What is getting enough in the day? So I said, I'm trying to apply that approach to my athletes as well. And just being open to the fluctuations of how we feel within this crisis. 
You mentioned working with athletes who maybe not so motivated, and which is understandable with the major tournament being canceled. What are some other skills you think you have to apply with your strength and conditioning uh, practice? It's not just the physiological side. There's some other skills you have to apply. So what are they? <laughs> it's um, the longer I do this, the more I realize that the physiological side is a smaller and smaller piece of my success as a coach. And so much of it is like athlete communication and relationship management. And so I think, and what I'll say just to your, your previous notes, athletes might be demotivated right now, but they were extraordinarily motivated before. And so I, I can speak to this off season. I thought it was incredibly successful across both of our, our local teams, as well as our national teams and the athletes that I was working with digitally and internationally. And so we had really been revving up in a, a really successful, positive manner. And this this was a huge curveball. This threw everyone off. But I think, so the motivation was an issue now, but the, the strategy that I employed with my athletes is to step back and say, you have worked incredibly hard. Just because you need to take some time today to manage your frustrations, your disappointment, doesn't mean you lose everything that you had before, right? You've built this over years and this offseason it will be ready for you. We might have to do a, a you know a small ramping up period once we gear back up, but I promise it will not be lost in a day and you will be prepared for when we're ready to ramp up again. And so to your question, just what are some of the skills outside of physiology is I, I would never profess to have any sort of mastery of psychology, but I think a lot about how would I want someone to interact with me given the circumstance. And you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be you know, an optimistic, enthusiastic guy. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I think I bring that to my coaching on a regular basis. And I try to have a really open, empathetic relationship with my athletes. I want them to come to me if things are great, but I also want them to come to me if things aren't so great. I want them to know that there's not going to be judgment. There's not going to be this like, oh, you're not doing your training. How could you? It's okay. I get it. I, I, I really understand where you're coming from. How can I help you today? How can I make this easier for you today? And so definitely the the relationship management is just such a big piece of that puzzle and I think is part of what I enjoy the most. I love having deep relationship with athletes. I love feeling connected to my athletes and invested in their success and invested in their their happiness and you know how that builds towards a team sort of success and yeah, just being flexible and, and adaptable. Would you say that that's what separates a lot of the elite level in terms of trainers and coaches that they're able to understand the athletes where they're at? Uh, have you seen and maybe in your time where there are people who have all the knowledge, but they're not able to connect and just relate with the athletes? Absolutely. I think, I think in any profession, there has to be a balance between the technical skills or the practical execution and the ability to interact as a human and just to be an individual that people want to be around and, and that people want to be connected to. And so I do believe that my personality or the style that I want to bring to my coaching is part of my success. I think it's also very specific to the team field sport world. I mean, even a little bit tangentially, one of the reasons I love working in the sport of ultimate is 99% of the people I've met are genuinely nice people. They're genuinely great people. They're in this because they love the sport. They want, they love the competition. They're invested in the team mentality and having success in these moments as a group. And so they respond to that style that I'm bringing to the table. They respond to the enthusiasm, the positivity and the connection that I'm trying to build. And so I think that's part of the reason that I've been successful or, or why I, I'm building towards a brand that I feel really proud of and I'm really excited to continue to move forward with. And that, yeah, it really does come down to the personality side playing a role. Speaking of some success there, Mike, this is a good segue here. You've obviously had some success in the world stage, the big tournament. So can you walk the audience through what does it look like as an SNC coach at a tournament for a major team like Team Canada or let's say Goder Sixers at USA Club Nationals? What does your day-to-day -day look like there? So the day-to-day, it is, it's incredible. Every time I, I get the opportunity to be at one of these elite competitive experiences, it reminds me to the infinite degree why I love my job. 
And I'll say from the kind of the initial thing is arriving at these events, you know, I feel I'm always confident. I'm always invested knowing that we've worked hard. We've done the work we needed to do to be successful here. And, you know, (laughs) competition is, is ultimately a bit of a coin flip or a roll of the dice, but I always enter feeling really excited about the chances of, of my team. And so being there, I step back and go, how can I help make this team successful? What can I do? Even if it's just the teeniest tiny thing, how can I support this person or this group or this team to ensure that we are at our very best at every moment of competition? And so, you know, as an SNC coach, I do recognize in the sport of ultimate, I get to play a, a little bit of a, a you know, jack of all trades type scenario. And, you know, I'm very clear with my athletes. I'm not a physiotherapist. I'm not a chiropractor. I'm not a registered dietitian. But within my degrees, within my professional experience, the additional designations and certifications I've taken, I do have a solid working knowledge of the science and understanding how to practically apply it within our very unique, you know, tournament competition setting. And so in my day to day, I look at in game, how can I continue to help you you succeed in Excel? And as soon as the game is done, how can I help you recover? How can, like both physically, nutritionally, hydration status, psychologically, what can I do to maximize that recovery response so we can immediately be ready for that next game, that next competitive experience? So in the, the kind of the, the smaller nuances of it, there's a lot of nutritional control, uh, making sure that we have the supplies that we need at the timing we need for our athletes. Uh, monitoring hydration, watching sugar levels, um, salt levels, you know, being sure that they're getting potassium as needed, uh, running warm-ups, running cool-downs. Uh, if I'm working with different teams, it's shuttling back and forth and communicating with the coaching staff to make sure that they have everything they need, anticipating what challenges could be there for our athletes. And then in the afternoons and evenings, we work through kind of stretching protocol, rolling protocols, recovery protocols. If our athletes have specific tweaks and twinges, I'm there to support them through kind of the recovery side. Obviously, if we don't have a physiotherapist, that takes on a, a larger chunk of my time. If we have, you know, one of our excellent physiotherapists on field with us, you know, we, they and I work together in a partnership, and then we kind of collaborate on how we can support each athlete. Awesome. So, in terms of your role on the field, do you do do you get to do any speeches or anything, any pump up, or that's more uh, more the head coach? I no, I'm definitely I'm. A cheerleader. I, I, you know, this, these are the moments where my enthusiasm like boils over. I, I, I am bouncy on the sideline. I am a, I'm a, a yeller. I'm a cheerer. I'm a hype guy. And it's because I'm so excited to witness the culmination of what we had put together that off season and that season into that moment of competition, getting to see whether it's a world's, whether it's a USAU, you realize what it took to arrive in that moment. And because I I do feel really invested in the success of my athletes and each individual person watching one person, you know, get a beautiful D or a a huge break to the sideline or towing the line or a huge sky. I'm just so excited for them to see all the work that they've put in come through in these moments. So, no, I am, I am not a speech giver. I am just the happiest cheerleader on the sideline while still keeping, uh, you know, a bit of that, you know, side towards how can I help? What, what do I need to prepare for next? What's, what do I need to do in the next 15 or 30 or 60 minutes to make sure we can keep this success rolling? How do you keep all that in your head during the tournament? Because I'm sure there's a lot going on. Do you have it all written out in terms of this is the nutrition plan for the day and all that kind of stuff? Is that all written down on a clipboard somewhere? Is it on a phone? Where, <laughs> where's that located? <laughs> I am... Um... A bit of a neurotic list maker. <laughs> my athletes, my coaches, they laugh. I know somewhat sarcastically, like, oh, here's another long mic email. But I, I am, I try to be a really exceptionally organized individual. And I realize that having a, a strong plan in place means that I don't have to think about what I would normally do in the moment. I get to react based on what the circumstance gives me. So for the first day or two of a tournament, depending on what it is, We'll have a pretty concrete schedule of, you know, our our first round games or potentially the second round. So I know what the timing is, where I'll need to be, what the general pieces of the puzzle are to maximize that recovery and performance. And so I do have a pretty clear cut schedule written out. 
And then if things change, if, if we finish a game quickly, then I'm recognizing, okay, well now we have time for this, this, or this, or how we might we change the nutrition schedule based on that. So I work hard behind the scenes so that I can have those small moments of just, you know, pure unadulterated enthusiasm when I'm there on the sideline, but it very much juggles back and forth. It's like a two brain sequence. There's the, the joy sequence, and then there's the let's think about what needs to be done next sequence. So <laughs> a little, a little back and forth. That's sweet. And if you watch some of GOATs or Team Canada's games or even Sixers, you can see Mike running out whenever there's a big play. So I definitely have seen that, Mike, on some of the broadcasts. <laughs> In terms of your day, both um, at home with Haddock Sport Performance as well as at tournaments, are there any parts of your day that you find less enjoyable or just more menial as part of what you have to do, but it's not your favorite? Well, I think as, as I've continued to grow professionally, And my role has continued to expand, not just as pure in-person trainer, but more as a collaborative coaching staff personality. There is far more administration and planning and organization that happens behind the scenes. And so where maybe early in my career, you know, 60 or 80% of my time was spent in-person coaching and training, that has become a smaller and smaller percentage. And, you know, even now with, with Haddock Sport Performance being a mainly digital communication brand, my balance is that I spend a lot of time individually emailing, messaging, videoing with our athletes. And there is a smaller percentage of in-person team training. So, you know, let's say 20% of my normal weekly professional life would be in-person coaching now, whereas before I said it would be about 60. So I think that's a far different perspective than most people would have of a strength and conditioning coach. I think it's a, uh, I think it speaks to more of the organizational oversight role versus the in-person coaching role. I would say I enjoy a lot of that. I enjoy sort of the strategic planning. I enjoy the problem solving of building a strategy that I think really works through the challenges for, for an athlete. When you do it in mass, the problem solving becomes a little bit more tedious, but I think having like the, the video communication with my athletes, that, that face-to-face communication rejuvenates me every time. Like anytime I, I get a chance to communicate with somebody, it reminds me of why I'm so invested in this, why I really enjoy it. And that enthusiasm keeps pushing me forward when there is a large level of administration or organization that needs to be done. For sure. And thanks for sharing that. We're going to move to segment three here, Mike. Uh, Some misconceptions. I know a lot of people, and myself included, we have certain views of what the fitness industry looks like. So what are some things that you maybe heard uh, about the fitness industry and and sort of your job as an S&C coach? People might think when they hear that, they think a certain view. So what would you dispel about that? What would you say to those uh, views? I'm fortunate that in my professional sphere, you know, the organizations, teams, athletes that I communicate with on a regular basis, there isn't any overt negativity. Like there's, there's normal challenges that we have to overcome, but there isn't anything that really kind of steps back and goes, I don't feel engaged with this person. I don't feel positive about working with this person. But within the strength conditioning industry on the whole, I do sense and see that there is, there are challenges in our industry. And I think there is this natural instinct towards negativity and, you know, finding fault with everything. You know, there's 90% of, you know, this athlete's technique that looks great, but let's net pick this last little piece. And I think with the social media world that we live in, it's very easy to nitpick and everything comes with a context. And so, you know, if we present something out to the world and we talk about our rationale behind it or why we might have done something, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is years of history. There's hours of communication that led to those moments and to those decisions. And so it's very difficult to accurately portray that in depth on a regular basis. So I find that the, the greater strength and conditioning industry can sometimes be the challenge. And that's at HSP, we very carefully guard kind of what we put out into the world. And I think ultimately what we put out there is something that I wholeheartedly would stand behind and endorse. It's like, yes, this is our rationale. These are our athletes. This is what we believe in. This is why we think it's successful. And try to sort of, um, you know, dampen the outside noise. And to take that a step further, I think 
you know, social media has been a, an incredible elevator of our brand. I'll, I'll be honest that the what we've done digitally has helped to increase uh, our brand awareness and has helped to show what we're trying to bring to the table on a day-to-day basis. But I think there is a, a challenge potentially with it's a general population of the athlete mindset is they see many different flashy exercises and they go, that should be in my program. That's something I need. And that's something that can be really difficult to work against. Now, I, I would say that is a very, very small challenge within our athlete group right now. And that's because we work really hard to educate our athletes behind the whys of our programming. We give them a clear you know, narrative of we're doing this because of this and it leads to this and this is how it transfers to the field. We want you to feel it this way. We don't want to see this. And we're giving them a really clear understanding of why they're doing it. And so we don't get many of those challenges, but on the greater strength conditioning industry in the whole, there is so much flash to what we're doing. It, it takes away from the idea that foundation is the most important executing some simple concepts at the highest quality and consistency will take you far further than some of these flashy exercises. So, you know, anytime our athletes bring this up to us, we'll step back and have that conversation of, I think it's great for this, this, and this, but here's why I don't think it necessarily fits today. Or here's what we might pull out for you because that's most applicable, but maybe this series of exercises isn't the best for you at this time. That's sweet. And I know that I've experienced that even just on my own personal journey there and, and learning a bit from you way back when. So how would you say your program differs than just there's a lot of fitness programs out there, not even just specifically for sport in general, you can go Google personal training program and you can find something. So how does your program differ from just every program out there? What's what stands out about yours? What's different? I think from the outset, there are tens of thousands of coaches and there are thousands of great coaches and there are hundreds of people that I'm connected with that I really respect with their building. And so I think what's been most important to my vision for, for the brand, for strength conditioning, for what I'm trying to do every day is trying to build a deep personal connection with my athletes, with my team. And provide them with a fully individualized experience. But at the end of the day, nothing in what we do is, is cookie cutter. It's built around, this is what you said. This is how you feel. This is what you've been through. These are things that you like. These are things that you don't like. And we take all that information and we build a program tailored to that. I think the best program isn't the best program in the world or isn't the best program if you don't want to do it. So how do I build something that you are so bought into that you believe in and you understand the rationale behind it. And so what I think is different about HSP is that we would prefer to work really closely with a small number of athletes, a small number of dedicated individuals that are really invested in themselves. That's cool. And that's definitely um, something we've talked about as well, how uh, certain programs are more, more general and they want to get maybe a lot of people but yours is very specific to an elite athlete group and you can hear mike's passion about it as well throughout this interview last question of this segment here mike what are some things you didn't know about until you got to where you are in terms of being your founder of your own snc company there's probably some things you maybe thought you knew and then you got in there and you're like whoa this is totally different absolutely coming out of school um you know we we always had you know, in reading the scientific literature and understanding studies and sort of very lab-based scenarios was this ideal that things must be done at this ideal level. And as I moved into the professional world, I really came to understand that there is a balance between real and ideal. And so what is realistic to do and what is ideal to do? And I'm trying to find the perfect blend between those two variables. And so, you know, we're always going to abide by scientific principles and, you know, the science of human adaptation. But we're going to look at is how do we apply this when it isn't a one-on-one -on -one training session, but a one-on-five, one-on-ten, a one-on-twenty. If we have a full team come into the gym, how do we organize this session that we give every person as close to an ideal experience, but in a realistic fashion? And so whether it's a space limitation, a time limitation, an equipment limitation, how do we build this to be as best as possible. So I think that's something that I've had to 
build into my programming, have to be really conscious of, really thoughtful of when we design our team training sessions is what is the flow? What is the realistic nature of what we're trying to do? And so the second piece to that is I've come to appreciate, as I've built the infrastructure to a greater degree, and I've had to spend less time thinking about building the pieces of the program, I've been able to allocate more of my actual time, but also my mental time towards that, you know, you and me partnership with the athlete, getting to think about more about how do I communicate with this person in an effective way? How do I build a system that works better for them? That gets to be a larger piece of what I'm doing. And so I think that is at the individual nature of what we're trying to do, the personalized nature of what we're trying to do. And so that's what I enjoy. That's what I want to be doing. But it took me a long time to realize that that's where I should be going. That's where I should be investing some time and effort to continue to build that depth of relationship, but also the success of our systems and programs. One of the themes you might be picking out here is Mike's willingness to continue to learn and grow. You got to grind through the menial times and just how he started his brand from that one video. Now you got 500. So that's great to hear, Mike. We're going to wrap up this podcast here with segment number four, Rapid Fire. I didn't prep you for this beforehand, so we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Oh, man. So name me your top three sports teams and top three athletes of all time. So this will actually be a little bit outside of the rapid fire style that you're looking for here. But I found that in the last five years, I have invested less emotionally with professional athletes. Like in the sense, like the big sports. I mean, I grew up a, a huge hockey fan. I went through a big Jays phase. You know, I obviously followed very closely with the Raptors and their win last year and their championship. But I found that my love, my, my passion for those has started to dim because I've invested so much in my own athletes. Like the, we talked about it earlier that when I'm out on the sideline at these big events, like that is how I used to feel about the big sports. And now it's become sort of a surrogate. Like I'm far more invested in the success of my, my athletes that I feel a relationship with than those that I respect on a professional and physical level, but are distant through a screen. So I think I grew up as a, a, a tried and true Toronto, you know, Canadian fan athlete. So grew up with the Toronto Maple Leafs, grew up with the Blue Jays. I mean, anything Team Canada, especially sort of hockey wise was always at the top of my interest list. Yeah, that's where that's where I come from. Question number two here, Mike. What is your favorite sports memory, both as an SNC coach and then as a fan? Ah, uh, so as an SNC coach, my absolute favorite memory was World Games, bronze medal, the like five to ten seconds after Kevin Underhill scored the point. And I remember we all rushed the field. I remember. Like, it was such a blur. But in the moment, I remember hugging Jeff Powell, uh, an athlete who I'd worked with for, you know, three or four years at the time. And over his shoulder, I could see two of our teammates hugging. And they burst out in tears. And it just it hit me like a wall. And it was, you know, as I briefly alluded to earlier, it was this understanding of every minute and every effort and every little piece of yourself that you would put into that success. And, I mean, we had bigger aspirations than bronze, but what it felt like in that moment was just a satisfaction that you had given everything you could to something and it had been worth it. And it had been absolutely just prized as an emotional memory. So that's a, that was a huge moment for me. And that's something that I, I think back on, you know, during, you know, the challenging times or the, the unmotivated times. Like I remember what that felt like. And that's something I, I really, uh, strive to find again and, and, you know, potentially do better then. <laughs> there you go. And then my favorite as a fan, I think, you know, speaking to earlier that I think some of the, the most um, kind of emotional, kind of clear cut memories I have as a pure fan were traditionally before I really jumped into the strength conditioning world. So something that really, really stood out to me was uh, in the Vancouver Olympics, John Montgomery, uh, he was a, a skeleton athlete. And I remember when he won the gold medal and I remember he won like, like a hundredth of a second or like three one hundredths of a second. And I remember just watching the eruption. It was, it was, it was a, a magical moment where literally it came down to the last athlete 
They were ahead through the vast majority of the race, hurtling down the hill like 100 miles an hour. A teeny tiny little slip at the end. And instead of being, you know, three tenths of a second ahead, three tenths of a second behind. And I remember seeing the green light come on and seeing John erupt. And it was just it, like the Vancouver Olympics for me as a Canadian was just this like wildly emotional time. You felt so bought into the country and like what what it meant as a, as a citizen of this country. And seeing that sort of lost to win moment that just stood out and just how happy he was just what his celebration. I remember him walking down the street like he was holding on to the, the pitcher of beer, just chugging. And it was just this pure joy. And that's something that I felt really connected to. So you can definitely hear Mike's passion. And so if you can imagine the passion he has during this interview, just imagine that on the field when there's a big sky or something big happens, Mike's just running out, going nuts out there. So a couple non-sports questions for you, Mike. You got one last meal to eat on earth. You got to tell me the appetizer, main course, dessert, and drink that you're having. All right. So I think, oh, this is a tough one. It's always hard to choose just one thing. I'm going to pull from so many different spheres. So I'm going to say an app. The keg has these prime rib sliders that I just, every time I go, I have to get them. They're just so good. And like, this is like a five to 10 year challenge for me. It's just every time I got to get them. So I'm going to start off with uh, some prime rib sliders. And then next up, my main, I'm a rib guy. And, uh, it's, you know, I'm fortunate. Both, both my mom and my wife make exceptional ribs. And there's a rib sauce homemade for my grandma that I've been eating literally from birth. So I'm going to do ribs with the special family secret rib sauce paired with some garlic mashed potatoes. And I know it's my last meal, but I'm going to get a little healthy. I have, uh, you know, these steamed broccoli with cheddar cheese sauce that is just so good. And it pairs so nicely. I've actually had this meal. So I'm just thinking back about how great it was. (laughs) And, uh, I'm going to top it off. My wife is a pastry chef, so I get a ton of amazing desserts. Uh, I ask her to keep it away from the home the vast majority of the time, but I will go with basically a fudge chocolate brownie sprinkled with like some nuts. I give it a little bit of crunch on top that my wife's made. I'm definitely going to go with that. And to drink, non-alcoholic lemonade, alcoholic vodka lemonade. (laughs) There you go. Question number four here, Mike. I'm going to give you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world, living or dead. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. I'm imagining like a beautiful, hot, like late spring, early summer day, you know, friends all in the backyard. So I'm thinking how this afternoon turns into the evening. So I'm going to start off. We're just having like, you know, sitting around enjoying the sunshine in the garden, having a couple of like easy drinks. I'm going to start with Sam Smith because I think he balances really nicely with like low key chill tunes. Then he gets, a, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, boppers going and that's pretty fun. And that's going to take us into, you know, appetizers and dinner. And I'm going to call on Frank Sinatra to give us a nice jazzy vibe in the middle of our dinner. And then as the sun starts to go down, we're all feeling really good. Then we're going to go Drake. And then Drake's just going to tear up the neighborhood. I want to hit all the different genres. You know, I'm thinking time of day. (laughs) I was going to say, that's one of the more creative answers. I'm not going to lie. Very creative with the time and the eclectic mix. So that's awesome. I like to build a visual, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's good. That's really good, man. Question five here. What's the best advice you've ever received, be it for your career or athlete advice that you've ever received? I have sort of a two-part answer to this. And I, it's, you know, not, it's a memory that really just stands out. And it was one of my very first bosses, you know, when I was working at a commercial gym. And I remember him saying to me, you know, part of your success is being someone that other people want to be around. And I remember like not taking that on a superficial level, but what does it mean to in in the world of coaching or training, or as we said, sort of any industry that you're there to support, you're there to provide a part, to build a partnership. And I, I really took it as what is the hat that I want to wear? What is the, the, the aura that I want to put out? 
that will continue to build really strong relationships. That's always kind of stuck with me for a long time, even though it was such a, a simple message in just a kind of a one-off conversation. And then it was, it wasn't a specific person who said it to me, but I remember it, it came through in a series of articles, but it's this idea of quality before quantity, then quantity of quality. And the idea is that it's better to do something right. It's better to do something at a, a really high level versus just trying to churn out as much as you can. But if you continue to do things at a really high level, that step-by-step -step process builds over time. And, you know, we, we referenced a little bit earlier. Five, it wasn't 500 videos on day one. It was one good video that became a lot of good videos. So I think those two pieces of advice really stuck with me over the course of my career, both personally and professionally. All right, sounds good. Last question here. If you could be any position on any team in any sport, what would it be? So this is like a make-believe. You have all the talent in the world. I think for me, uh, it always comes back to ultimate. Like that's really the sport that has, you know, sat so close to my heart for, you know, <laughs> my, my early life and then my professional career. So I think if I really had the infinite talent in the world and I was able to do it in a way that supported my family and I could kind of do it professionally, I think I would stick to, to ultimate. I think I want to be a downfield cutter, you know, something about that just raw athleticism of being able to sprint at full speed and just go fully up for it. That's something that, you know, I've always really enjoyed and connected with. So Mike, I do appreciate you coming on the show. If our audience wants to find out more about you and more specifically your company, Haddock Sport Performance, where can they find you? Yeah, so I think they're uh, more, more than welcome to check out uh, haddocksportperformance.ca. That'll give you a really good initial insight to our system, our structure, our philosophy, our methodology. And then for a bit of a day-to-day -day flavor on what we do and getting a little bit more insight to our athletes and our, our coaching style, please feel free to check us out, uh, HSB and uh, Instagram, at Performance. I'm going to leave all that in the show description and on the Instagram post I'll put up as well. So if you want to find out more, you can definitely do that. Mike, thanks for your time again. I do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you got a family, you got a child. So there's a lot going on in your life despite the COVID situation. So thanks for coming in. Uh, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Harry Potvin, a former varsity swimmer for the University of Guelph Griffins. Hear about his own mental health journey and what led him to educate others with his new YouTube channel, The Mental Corner. As always, you can follow him on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commentating highlights on my YouTube channel at Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.